everybody. Welcome into Conway Sumble, a New York baseball podcast here on FingerLakes1.com. Paul Russo, Kyle Evans here with you as always. It was what I can only describe to be a collective miserable weekend of New York baseball across the board. It was not good from obviously the Mets and the Yankees down to the Red Wings and S Mets. Um, a lot of losing, a lot of tough breaks. And uh, we'll get down to all of it pretty much here. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, Kyle, for you, wasn't the best weekend uh, for the viewing portion of baseball for you. Yeah, uh, the thing was, I actually thought they were going to win the series, and I think a lot of people did. Um, but with this team, I think at this point, nothing is surprising when these types of things go on. It's like they find new ways to lose. They find new ways to, you know, make fans miserable. And, uh, yeah, I think we've said this way too many times on, like, a Monday, another miserable weekend for the New York teams, and that was the case again. Yeah, and we'll, we'll jump into, obviously, all of it, but, you know, the Yankees, I, I thought, you know, I, I thought I would have to be eating my words a little bit. Uh, if you were to even ask me, I think, post-game Saturday even, um, you know, only because I, I thought – and we'll jump into obviously all of this more in depth. I thought the pitching collectively um, up until I'd say what I will call the seventh inning yesterday for the Yankees was really good. And then, um, you know, for the Mets, at least I think the main talking points happened off the field for a change with them as opposed to on the field because there wasn't a ton of positivity on the field this weekend for them, um, especially Saturday, which um, – Nobody will be able to deny that there was definitely football being played across the, the great country of, of America. So uh, that happened. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll jump into a bunch of, I would say, interesting topics today um, because it's a lot of stuff that I guess maybe we have talked about to a degree, but maybe a couple other things that maybe we haven't talked about more in depth on. And all of a sudden, I guess maybe one or two of them really came to light over the weekend, and we can kind of jump on in and, and get to it. So we'll do that. Uh, first, thank a couple of our sponsors, Sano Propane, four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, business with unmatched customer service. You can go online at desanopropane.com for more information or call them toll-free at 1-800-752-4574 today since 1937. The difference has been DeSanto Propane and Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. You can visit Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant at their original Waterloo location, their all-new renovated location in Geneva or at Del Lago Resort and Casino. Dine-in, takeout, delivery, catering, and banquets. Order online at Chichino's.com. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. So let's start with uh, the Yankees here, Kyle, today. And uh, lose the series to Miami and the Marlins who good team still in contention I think we we kind of know where they're kind of feeling out though for the rest of the year and um, like I said I, I do want to start here up until in my mind the seventh inning really I guess yesterday maybe I don't know depends I guess how you really want to classify it um, you know up until you know the, the end of the game really yesterday I thought the pitching for the Yankees was, was pretty good to great all series long collectively um, obviously could have been better in maybe some spots, but it's not maybe it's obviously not the pitching's fault that the offense just didn't really help them, you know, Saturday and frankly made Sandy Alcantara look like he did last year 
on Saturday for the most part. Complete game, one run that he gave up. Uh, but, um, you know, all that to say, uh, kind of like one of those things where it's like, and this is something that I think for both teams kind of stands the point here, and I, we're going to talk more about it, I think, with the Mets and the Yankees here, but one of those things where it's like they kind of just have this great thing maybe building, maybe a one or two piece type thing almost in a way, right, that you can build upon only to kind of what I would call toddler it and knock down all the blocks, and next thing you know you have to build the base up and, and kind of get back to work, and that's the way – it, it kind of felt this weekend the Yankees uh, collectively, like I said, the pitching was 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 pretty good to borderline great all weekend long, and the offense just um, for the, for the most part just didn't do their job. Yeah, you said it well. They've they get some momentum in a game, and they just don't carry it over to the next. And they haven't been winning series. Their last series win against a non-Royals or A's team is June twenty third. Yep. Their last road series win was June fourth. They're just not winning series. So, I mean, what do you expect? Their record kind of just basically tells it all. They're actually lucky to still be over 500. They have not done well against teams not named the Royals or the A's. Yeah, and that's, you know, something that, you know, again, I, I kind of go back to what I talked about, and I don't want to bang the drum too, too much on it. But, you know, it goes back to something I, I said Thursday where it's like it's this pretty much the same team that has been there now since the end of the Girardi era and all the way through. Um one thing I didn't want to talk about, at least in regards to the offense, and in my mind, maybe a slight positive. Um, it seems as though, at least from the weekend, and hopefully it's something that he can build upon here, obviously, as a rookie, but Volpe, Andy Volpe kind of found a bit of a power stroke this weekend. Obviously, two home runs in the three three games, but the at-bats I saw from him were the wrong window to look out, Kyle, when the train's going through. But, uh, <laughs> I thought I heard rain. I was oh. like, what? No, not, not quite. But... Um, yeah, it, it seems as though his at-bats this weekend were a bit more, I don't want to say, like, maybe necessarily powerful, but they were much more maybe meaningful in a way. And I don't want to make it sound like he hasn't been taking, like, meaningful swings or at-bats or anything like that. That's not what I mean. But what I, what I mean by that is just much more trying to put, the like, a good stroke on the ball. And it paid off, at least, obviously, with a couple home runs and everything, but... And I know, you know, we, we, we talked about, obviously, the chicken parm stuff. And maybe with Volpe, we haven't talked too, too much about since the Dylan Lawson firing. But maybe this is where a guy like Sean Casey is, you know, making those adjustments and tweaks now are with, you know, say a guy like Volpe. Because, you know, when I look back on it, and obviously it's something that we talk about a ton between me and you, Kyle, here on the podcast, is um, even though, you know, our ages are – somewhat close-ish, you know, we're, we're kind of from two different generations of baseball at this point. You know, I remember Sean Casey very well, and I don't want to say, like, Volpe's swinging just like Casey. It's not quite that way, but I think the way Casey batted, I think that's the way he's teaching some of these young guys like Volpe, and it's kind of translating over because Sean Casey, yeah, he had some power, but he was more of an average guy, and he never took – it, what I would call, like I said, these non-meaningful swings. And I think maybe some of that's translating over now. We kind of see this result maybe slowly but surely with a guy like Volpe. Yeah, I think you said, it well, it seems like he's more uh, relaxed and more patient. He's letting the ball come to him, letting the ball travel deeper. And I thought it was interesting, too, on Friday when he hit that three-run homer uh, to make it 3 nothing. Uh, he 
looked over in the dugout and pointed and seemed to be a little more fired up than yeah. usual. And I'm wondering, this probably is maybe to do with Sean Casey's energy because, you know, he is. Um, and maybe it's just a sign that the kid, you know, is finally feeling more comfortable. Um, he's showing more emotion, trying to get his team going. And, I mean, at this point, the Yankees could use anyone to get going. And if Fulpe can be the guy and Glaber to kind of get this team turned around, I think that would be huge. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because of the timing of it all, right? And seven years ago yesterday was the anniversary or whatever you want to call it of Tyler Austin and Aaron Judge going back-to-back in their debuts. Um, and obviously kind of completely different circumstances, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that either are the same or similar. But, you know, think about the jolt that those two kind of gave, you know, them and Gary – at the end of that 2016 season where the Yankees were considered sellers at the deadline, right? But they were still in it until the final week, and it was a lot because of these guys that they called up. Kind of makes me wonder a little bit. You see Volpe kind of maybe finding some stuff a little bit here, and, um, you know, maybe allegedly we might be seeing Everson Pereira up at some point. You know, maybe this is a little bit of a similar situation. Like, maybe do you call the other guys up with Volpe in this quote-unquote class of next Yankee players and maybe something similar kind of happens? I don't know, but kind of a thought here. But uh, did, you, did you have news over there just now? It's the face you give me when you have, like, breaking news pop up. <laughs> well, I don't know if I missed something over the weekend. Uh-oh. Because you said at the Open that we were going to talk maybe about Verlander. Right. And now, 13 minutes ago, he releases, like, a Twitter statement about the Mets. Yeah, yeah. That uh, we'll, re- we'll be getting into that. Yeah. I don't, didn't know he said something over the weekend. Well, it wasn't him. It was a report that came out about him and, and Scherzer. We'll get to that. Okay. That's a good tease. Good tease, as we call him in the business. Um, kind of the last thing I really want to talk about with the Yankees here, and it's going to be a bit maybe repetitive, but um, – it's kind of hard to, I'd say, ignore it at this point. Aaron Boone postgame yesterday on Sunday made kind of what I just call the same dog and pony show comments at this point. And I don't know. To me, they just seemed more ridiculous yesterday than, than before for whatever reason. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it was just the way the Yankees lost yesterday um, where – you know, Clay Holmes has, has frankly kind of turned it around, you know, since May and June and, and kind of seemed to have gotten it figured out a little bit and goes in and has, frankly, dare I say, his worst, honestly, outing of the year. Like, and I'm not blaming, obviously, that, you know, Holmes and his stuff on Boone, but, like, Post game where Boone's like, oh, what can you do at this point? You just have to put on your cap and move on. Well, you can't just keep saying that when this is just your regularly scheduled, whatever you want to call it, 5 p.m. presser as you're about to get on the plane and go play the best team in baseball. You know, I, I get it. Obviously, that's part of it at this point. And, you know, I, I've been a part of teams in that way. I'm sure you have too, Kyle, where it's like, you can't seem to get anything going right or anything like that in that sense. And maybe that's where that comment, I wouldn't be as upset with it in essence. But, like, you had the Marlins where, where you need them to be to just shut down and, and move on. And 
like I said, you get a series win. I think we're having a completely different conversation on a lot of things today regarding the Yankees, but the fact of the matter is you didn't, and not much has changed. And these comments, I guarantee we'll, we'll sit here on Thursday, and we may not talk about it, but I guarantee the comments post-game Wednesday after they presumably lose the series to Atlanta is like, well, what can you do? Put your cap on and move on. And maybe that one's a little bit more understandable just given where the Braves are to a degree. But, like, you, you just can't – to me it's ridiculous to say that after you had literally the, the Marlins by the huevos and you let them go, more or less. Yeah, I, I was actually going to tweet something out yesterday. I don't know about you, but I've noticed lately listening to Boone postgame that he just seems relaxed. Like, he a few weeks ago, even a month ago – Reporters asking him questions, and he's just more fired up. Do you, do you think that's like a resign to the fate type thing for him? Yeah, like there was a couple times over the weekend too where he's like kind of like, I guess I would say giggling a little bit. He's like, yeah, we got to get going. It's like he's not like, you know, staring down a reporter or, or like really getting angry like he once was like a month or so ago. So it seems like now he's just like something switched in his head where he's like not going to get angry. And it's like, uh, that's probably the wrong thing to do. You need some anger as a manager. Yeah, I mean, to me, that that's just a sign of somebody, I think, being resigned to their fate at this point almost in a way, which I, I don't know what to believe, frankly, at this point. And it's something that we talked about last week. I don't want to spend time really today harping on it, but, like, it's pretty apparent that ownership, the change that they want to see, is not going to be at the GM spot. It's going to be at the managerial spot. And I, and I don't know, like, again, like, I get it. Like, I'm not going to sit here and act as if Boone has been a tremendously over-the-top great manager or even probably remotely great manager, right? But, I mean, it to me, I, I can't place full blame on him, and I think we all know what his role within the team is, and we know who's actually pulling the strings and actually making the decisions for the most part. Yeah, and Cashman put together a team that's just not a, what they keep saying, a uh, championship-caliber team. That's right. far from it. I mean, they really seriously don't have a left fielder still. They keep plugging in different guys. If you look in, up and down their lineup, like the other day, you have Oswaldo Cabrera, Ben Rortfett, and uh, who was it, some other guy. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. But you just kind of laugh at the bottom three, bottom four. It's like, yeah, now you know why this offense hasn't been good. Right. And like I said, maybe that's the thing. Like, you brought up Cabrera, you bring up Rortvet. They, Rortvet mostly was the one who contributed a little bit yesterday, too, in addition to, say, Volpe and, and I know Stanton, obviously, what was it, second inning or third, I forget which inning. But, like, just, like, and it's something that we've talked most, more about the Mets this year than the Yankees, but, like, just, just let these young guys just figure it out at this point. You know, I, I, I don't know. I whatever <laughs> at this point all right let's uh let's do some updating roster stuff here for the yankees so dj LeMahieu, um slated to return tonight monday night in the lineup in atlanta um after apparently being good to go yesterday though yeah we've heard seems to be a very, friday yeah which seems to be a very new york yankee thing at this point to do with him so I, i'm not surprised that they held him out knowing it but it sounds like he was actually pretty uh, perturbed by not being in the lineup even at least yesterday, uh, let alone the whole weekend. But for sure yesterday when he knew that he was good to go, 
uh, and it looks like he'll be back tomorrow or tonight. But like I said, it seems though he was the one more upset than anything else that he wasn't able or wasn't able to be in the lineup yesterday. Yeah, we heard Friday night emergency situation only. Saturday we heard that he's feeling good and he's available off the bench. And then Sunday we expect to see him in the lineup. He's still not in the lineup. Just a total Yankee thing to do. Um, yeah, he's supposed to be back tonight, but this team, who knows? It's fair. Yeah, I mean, who knows? <laughs> All right, uh, Carlos Rodon through two uh, sim innings in Miami. Uh, this now in turn will send him to the complex in Tampa for live banning practice. In hopes of being activated on August 22nd, the first day that he is available to do so. Um, so, yeah, I did, <coughs> excuse me, I did see video of him uh, throwing in Lone Depot Park in Miami. Did look, as I say, because you don't know what his body's actually feeling like. Structurally, he looked fine. So it uh, does seem to be one of those things where it's, you know. Take your time. I, I do I do agree that he'll probably be, well, <laughs> I do agree, though, that he'll probably be activated on, on uh, next Tuesday when he's officially able to. Take your time. We don't need your four innings, six runs allowed, and four walks. Wow. I, yeah, I know. I, Sorry. At this point, over Severino, which we'll, well, we'll get to anyway here in a minute. <laughs> um, where am I? There we are. Nestor Cortez, speaking of left handed pitchers, placed on the 15 day injured list. Uh, this happened after we got done on Thursday, even uh, in a classic case of whatever. Uh, with left rotator cuff strain, he will not throw for three to four weeks, uh, more or less putting it at a lost season at this point for Nestor. Same shoulder that was obviously the cause of his IL stint uh, before, but it's one of those things where it's kind of funny how we were talking Thursday, literally Thursday, about how he's, that was looking like he, his best start of the year uh, that he had last week, and now uh, that probably is going to be it for Nestor, this, at least regular season, uh, probably the season period, the way everything's tracking. Yeah, it was caught me off guard. You know, like you said, we talked about how good of an outing it was. He was throwing harder. He looked really good. Um, so, I don't know. It seems like he's having problems with his recovery, with pain, and then that came up. And, it's, I don't know, lost season yeah. sucks because he was so good uh, last year and the year before, half a year before. So, um, yeah, this rotation's, man, taking a big hit. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has. All right. Anthony Rizzo, he joined the team in Miami. He's obviously from down there, so lives down there. Uh, played catch, did some light running, but that's it activity-wise for him still. Still no exact timetable for him to return, as they call it, still week to week. Shut him down, 44 games left. I mean, I don't know about maybe a full-fledged shutdown type thing, but... Hasn't even hit yet. He's screwed. Yeah, I mean, but concussions are a weird thing. Uh, but, yeah, I kind of... I kind of lean with you here to a degree, Kyle. I, I I don't know if I'd be risking even the slightest nudge could could set him back. So I don't I don't. I get that he wants to be with the team, and I don't maybe have a necessary problem with that. You know, if he wants to cut, if he wants to sit in the dugout and everything, but um, I I don't know if I'd have him even doing the light running or playing catch type thing at this point. Yeah, I mean, if he can't hit, why is he doing this other stuff? Clearly, it's still impacting him in some way. But, yeah, I just don't see the knee. I really don't think this team's a playoff team or going to make the playoffs. So, like, no need to bring them back, really. All right, let's move on to a couple of names we haven't talked about in a while, specifically the first one, really, and that's Scott Efros. That's right, the righty reliever from Chicago last year. 
Uh, so he hopes to begin throwing live batting practice in September or October. It'd probably be the later half of September for that. Uh, but he has been rehabbing at the complex in Tampa, and everything's been going to plan with him. But the other right-hander reliever or starter in this situation that the Yankees have been weighing on, Frankie Montas, appears to be lost for the 2023 season uh, as he has not had any major breakthrough in rehabbing his shoulder. As we were looking last month even, that it was looking pretty positive. Now, not so much. So a bit of a tale of two different stories going on for a couple of Yankee arms uh, acquired at the 2022 trade deadline. Well, it's safe to say that was one of Cashman's uh, worst trades in his career. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy to me that Garrett Cole is the only one standing in that projected opening day rotation with all these injuries and all the things that have popped up. And he's a guy that's always been reliable, hasn't missed a game, always goes out there and, you know, provides always the best performance. It's – I think Garrett Cole is actually living up to his contract now. Um, he has 16 starts this year with two earned runs or, or less. I mean, that's that's exactly an ace. Um, it's just, I, I, I don't know, I just find it crazy that all these guys just get injured every year and he's always standing, mm-hmm. throwing 99 miles an hour, never injured. Mm-hmm. You don't really find those guys a lot in this league. No. No. Even Scherzer, Verlander, those guys go on the aisle. Mm-hmm. Garrett Cole doesn't go on the aisle. Kind of crazy. All right, a couple of moves that were made. Nick Ramirez was optioned to Triple A Scranton Wilkesbury. Right handed pitchers Johnny Brito and Randy Vasquez, as we know, recalled from Triple A Scranton Wilkesbury. Both were, well, Johnny was only down there for what, about 12 hours, <laughs> yeah. give or take. But um, joking aside, uh, both ended up getting some work over the weekend there. So let's change focus to look ahead for the Yankees. They head to Atlanta for three games to face the MLB Best Braves. Um, starting tonight, MLB Network, 720 first pitch. Clark Schmidt against Max Freed. Tuesday, 720 on Yes or TBS, depending upon your market. Luis Severino against Bryce Elder. And then Wednesday, 720 on Amazon Prime or MLB Network, depending upon your market. It will be Randy Vasquez going against Charlie Morton. Um, yeah, um, it's a wild twist of fate where I feel like the Yankees' best chance goes up against the Braves. I mean, I guess second ace after Spencer Schrider at this point and Max Freed, even though Freed, even though it's a smaller sample size, probably doing a bit better than Schrider um, because of just the fact that Clark Schmidt's been that much on the past month, month and a half at this point. Um, and look, this is where the Yankees kind of find themselves at this point where you go Schmidt to Severino to Vasquez. And I don't mean to knock Vasquez in this case because when he's had to been called upon, he's done really great in my opinion. But uh, in a spot where, I mean, look, the Blue Jays even optioned Alec Manoa again over the week, or, well, I guess late last week. I don't think many people realize that. You know, Manoa got optioned to AAA Buffalo. And, you know, I've talked about I think Severino needs to be on the similar treatment as Manoa at this point. But the Yankees, because of all these injuries that we just talked about, Kyle, find themselves in a spot where you're, you're kind of forced to just keep Severino up there now at this point. And I don't think that helps at all. I don't think that helps the team. I don't think that helps him. We've been over it with him. How I, I don't think any of this is good for him at this point, especially mentally. 
I don't think they get swept. I think the Yankees do get one, but I, I think it's going to be an ugly series collectively for the Yankees against the Braves. I I don't see how there's a lot of positives coming into the show on Thursday when we talk about this where I can pull from and try and be the optimist I usually am in a lot of ways with this, but I, I just don't see it happening. I think the Yankees get one, and I think it's tonight, and I think after that it, it gets bleak pretty quick. Yeah, I don't agree. No. I think it's an oh, easy didn't. sweep for the Braves. Oh. Uh, mostly being the Braves are the best offensive team. They hit tons of home runs, and when they do that, they win a lot of games, and the Yankees' offense will not be able to keep up with this offense. Yeah. Um, no, Matt Olson, Olson's red hot, 43 homers now. Austin Riley, I mean, you could just go on and on. Ronald Acuna leading off, I mean... Ozzy Albee's switch hitting with 26 home runs now, I think. <laughs> like, maybe one game will be close, kind of like the Mets, what we're going to talk about soon, right. but kind of like last night's Mets game, but, yeah, I just see that Yankees getting overmatched. and yeah. um, Unfortunately, that'll be their first time under 500 in a long time if they get swept here. Yeah, so. yeah. That's it's something I kind of, I guess, failed to mention here, right, is they're 16-58 now. They're 13 games back of the division. In a wild card, they're six back. Oddly, they somehow gained a half game over the weekend to five games back. But I, I was talking about this actually yesterday. It's Look, crazier things have happened. But you have to make up a de facto whole week of games at this point just to be at the bottom spot. It's tough. And mathematically in my head, I still have to put the Yankees at kind of like one of those 50-50 spots at this point but like what what have they done to show me that they even deserve the 50 and it's nothing the only thing I have to leave it at, at the 50-50 for is the fact that it's just numerically possible and that's about it you know everything else on papers tell me the exact opposite yeah they don't string together wins and yeah the third wild card is still possible with 44 games left but the thing is, they're they're going to need to jump three teams to get exactly. into that spot. Exactly. And the team that's ahead of them now, two games, is the Red Sox, who they play this weekend, and they're one and five against. Mm-hmm. So even if say they win two of three, they still haven't won the season series. Meaning that if they end up in a tiebreaker situation late in the year, Boston gets in over them, and now the Mariners are three and a half ahead of them, and they get the I believe the Royals starting tonight. Mm-hmm. So. Yankees get swept by the Braves, and the Mariners sweep the Royals. I mean, this is what I mean. Like, this series is probably make or break, honestly. I was about to say, it's kind of like the Mets at, was it like that first week of July we were having that conversation where it's like, I don't want to be that guy already, but it's more or less their do or die. This is the Yankees' do or die. It's a similar spot where they're only a couple games above five hundred, and it's – Probably not teams you want to be facing, just given how we know the things have played out. But when the writing's on the wall, it's it's there. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, because this series shouldn't be make or break. But they've lost these close games. They've blown games, and they put themselves in a bad spot, not stringing together wins. So it's they kind of they've done this to themselves. I mean, it sucks to say, but yeah, they're and even the Angels. I forgot to mention them. I forgot who they get tonight, um, but they're only one and a half behind. As bad as they played. That just shows where the Yankees are. Yeah. I mean, they don't string together wins. Yeah. Even the Guardians. I know the Guardians haven't been playing well, but three and a half out. Mm-hmm. 
the Yankees get swept, the Guardians win a series, the Guardians are right there, and then they're jumping more teams. So, I don't know. It's tough to be positive with this team. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of tough to be positive, let's move on to the Mets, where uh, it was just an old-fashioned ass-whooping by the Braves over the weekend. I don't don't know another way to really put it. Um, It it was a lopsided series. Again, I don't know where to find the positive. I think the only positive I could – I can frankly find would be Kodai Singh's start yesterday. And even then, on the heels of that comes the Mets saying that they're going to be probably looking to limit his innings now the rest of the way. And that part to me is mind-boggling. I, if he was an outright like rookie, I think I would get it. But this is a guy who was a workhorse in Japan as well. I, he can handle a load. And again... Like I said, instead of maybe taking a positive route with the Mets here to get things going for just a terrible, miserable weekend for them, we're talking in my mind about a huge negative and one that I don't agree with in the slightest, in my opinion, because to me, is this a guy who can handle the workload? And I I think doing this really sets a bad precedent for the organization, in my mind. If you're a veteran pitcher of any degree – what would make you want to sign there at this point if you know that they're going to be limiting your innings potentially if, say, the season goes sideways on you like the way it has this year with them? And I, I just I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a good move, especially for a guy who's been one of your few bright spots all year, frankly, to just limit what he's been able to do and limit what he's done anyway in previous professional seasons in Japan and – yeah, I mean, just again, another case of the Mets, in my mind, turning a few, uh, one of the few positive lights from a weekend into a negative. Yeah, it's it's still hard for me to comprehend how how much backwards uh, this uh, yeah. organization has gone. I mean, yeah, you said it well. I don't know why anyone would sign there, especially what Scherzer revealed Billy Epler's comments were, and it's just this team just is not close to winning or being a World Series contender. So uh, I think the Mets are going to be bad for several years ahead. A lot of losing baseball, kind of what they were before the last few years. Yeah. The Mets, uh, again, I I did want to talk about with them too because, like I said, it's kind of the same thing with both teams here. Again, we come off the heels of Talking about how they looked, you know, decent again midweek last week for their midweek series and only to come out and look, frankly, dog race, dog boat, whatever you want to call it, boat race Friday night and that set the tone for the weekend. And, again, the Mets do what I call the toddler thing. They build up the base and do it pretty well. I mean, think about the way Pete Alonso was in the dugout and everything midweek to kind of <laughs> – the end of the weekend where it's, you know, celebratory and then, you know, you're banging your helmet off the thing. Um, I don't know what's got to change there. And we are going to talk about it, but, like, I saw that there was a report similar to the one that we'll talk about with Scherzer and Verlander come out that Pete Alonzo is this quote-unquote, I don't know, if, like being a cancer in the locker room. Like, what are we doing? He's one of the few guys at this point who looks like he actually cares still out there on the team and has all year, and this is what your plan is to have some guy leak info to help presumably 
in their eyes, help their case to bring them back in on a deal or something like that. Like, that's just dumb. Like, and it goes back to my thing. Like, you have this momentum going into the weekend. And I don't mean momentum like, oh, they just have it and they're running away with it because they've won six straight games or something like that. No, but, like, it was a good week, midweek last week. You had something there that you could maybe build upon, right? And you could maybe even build upon, say, they lost the series still three out of four games, right? But you don't lose 21 to four. You know, you don't get absolutely raced out of the joint three of the four games. And even then almost get swept, to be completely honest, you know? But instead, no, you have to figure out ways, in my mind, to just, like I said, be a toddler and just take down the blocks. Yeah, they can thank Colin McHugh last night for handing them runs. Two bases loaded walk, then a catcher's interference. I mean, man, yeah, Bra- uh, Braves could have easily swept this team. Uh, nothing was really going right. Even Like I said yesterday, they were gifted runs. All series, their offense wasn't doing anything. I know the Braves have good pitching. and But, yeah, nothing was clicking. They just You could just tell like, they were completely overmatched. Um, they did have a lot of opportunities Saturday in that night game, um, but they were like 0 for 13 with runners in scoring position. And, yeah, it was just a, just a rough series. And then Lindor was scratched late in one of the games. Um, I forgot the exact reason. I think just general soreness. But, yeah, it uh, turned in at the start of the week to a positive week into a really tough week. And they continue to get buried in the division, which we already know they're that's out of reach. But 22.5 now looks insane. 8.5 out of a wild card. It's tough. I mean, I can't imagine being a fan of the Mets as bad as it's been with the Yankees. Uh, there's just no no positive direction they're going into right now, and still 40-some games left of this. It's going to be tough. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I do have the Verlander quote up here, and I'll get to that in a second. But So let's backtrack here before I get to that uh, because we already teed it up here a little bit. Over the weekend – came out that more or less Scherzer Verlander were clashing in the dugout or in the clubhouse not the, the dugout uh, the clubhouse um, and Verlander not getting along with a lot of people in the organization kind of acting uh, diva-ish I believe was the term and I, I'm not surprised that's my own opinion of him anyway and we'll get to that in a second um, and I can't say I'm surprised necessarily so before I get to the quote that Verlander just came out with uh, I guess we'll, we'll go here first can't say I'm necessarily surprised with all of it. I, to a degree, uh, frankly, look back at some of the stuff pre-trade deadline, then right after too, even the, some of the comments surrounding there. And Max always seemed to be very much in focus with perhaps trying to get things better within the organization and the team, and trying to figure that out. Where I wouldn't say Verlander was maybe necessarily disconnected, but like, uh, remember when he was like laughing post game one time after a really bad start and everything? I to me, it was like classic Verlander, and I don't know if there's maybe truth of this, and like I said, we'll get to the quote here in a second, but when that report came out, what was your, I guess, initial reaction to it? Yeah, the thing is, I, I didn't hear some of these reports over the weekend, um, but yeah, I I thought all along that Verlander, yes, he would still like to win in late in his career, but at the same time, you know, he was kind of just happy with the contract, and you know, going out there and, and being his best every fifth day, and I, I agree. It seemed like he didn't really care as much. Um, and as for Scherzer, yeah, I mean, 
He's a guy, too, that's very competitive, as we know how crazy he can get in the dugout. Bulldog. Um, and, yeah, I, it would make sense to me that he isn't probably a very good teammate. Um, probably very quiet, too, sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I kind of do wonder, believe the reports. Yeah. Yeah, I, so we'll get to more of this in a second. Uh, now I do want to bring in uh, literally 15 minutes ago, or maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, Verlander tweeted this out. Or, well, yeah, a little bit longer, though. This was at where it's 137 right now. This was tweeted out by Justin Verlander 39 minutes ago at 12.55 Eastern. I want to say I have nothing but respect for the Mets organization, and I enjoyed connecting with all of my teammates this season, new and old. It truly was a wonderful group of people. That being said, we all know the success of a team is made up of more than just the players on the field. Everyone's input is valuable. I'm sorry to hear that a staff member took offense to constructive criticism on how we could improve. Wishing nothing but best to the Mets moving forward. And that was from Justin Verlander on or X Twitter. I don't know, again, what the hell we're calling it at this point, uh, about 40 minutes ago. So... Really, uh, I think this is where I can kind of maybe initially take a springboard here. I, I wasn't surprised by this report coming out about Verlander and Scherzer. They didn't get along together in Detroit, and I'm not surprised. I, I know Scherzer can maybe come off, like you said, Kyle, but maybe standoffish to a degree or something like that. But he's a bulldog, and it's pretty apparent by the comments he made, like I said, of, especially around the trade deadline where he's like, I don't know why we're trading our closer when we still have maybe this shot at it and we were – getting things kind of going a little bit. Whereas Verlander, uh, frankly, as I've always said, he quit on Detroit when Scherzer was still there. Uh, he deliberately kind of sank the team uh, to force his way out of there and ends up going to Houston and parlaying it into what has probably been the most fruitful part of his career, to be honest. And I've never been able to get down with Verlander after that. I've always found him to be a bit pompous anyway. Um, a bit of that diva prima donna, so I can't say I was surprised by any of it. And frankly, um, that the tweet kind of backs me up on my thinking, I think, in a way that he, that he tweeted the way he said some things there. And because he's never been one to take constructive criticism pretty well anyway, so I'm not surprised. Um, I won't say I'm picking Team Max versus Team Justin or something like that, but I, I'd rather have Max in my clubhouse the guy's a bulldog and always will be no matter how the chips fall you know you'll always have your back and I, I don't think you can say the same about Verlander yeah I think you said it well and as for the Pete Alonzo stuff who reported that that one I'm not I can't remember off the top of my head yeah I mean he's probably just another guy that you know is frustrated because he wants to win and I mean I, I don't know exactly like what he did in the clubhouse or whatever the report was but um, I'm sure he just probably showed anger, and as he should. I mean, some of these guys do care about just winning instead of just money, and I'm actually pretty sure now that uh, Alonzo will not be uh, signing an extension with the Mets. I truly believe he'll want out. He'll want to go somewhere where he can win. As we kind of discussed before, he's approaching 30 years old, um, and you don't want to just stay on a team that's basically rebuilding mm -hmm. and not going to be... Uh, a World Series contender for several years. So is it bad now? I'm just like kind of hounding X Twitter, whatever. I want, I want, I need a rebuttal from somebody here. Like I want it in the worst way, because <laughs> we know that's how the New York media works with uh, these types of things. So, um, whatever. 
All right, let's uh, talk about some roster updates here for the Mets. Outfielder Starling Marte says he expects to be back this season. However, he won't be activated from the injured list when eligible this Wednesday, dealing again with the groin issues and everything like that. Uh, I don't know if this is a case like Rizzo necessarily, where it's like you can shut him down for the year or anything like that, but um, certainly I think he expects to be back sooner than the Mets expect him to be back. And I feel like we might be coming to a very interesting situation here in the coming seven to ten-ish days. You know what I mean? Where I think he thinks he could be good to go, and the team's like, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, he's not missed. Right. <laughs> his, outf- sure. his outfield defense has not been good this year. We could make a highlight reel of that. Uh, his offense, he hasn't lived up to his expectations. Um, and, yeah, I think they should – I mean, Tim Lacastro's in center of the other night. Let him keep playing. Let McNeil keep playing in right. And uh, Ortega was playing last night. Had a big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just don't come back at this point. Right. Speaking of shutting guys down or not coming back, Edwin Diaz throwing from the base of the mound now uh, as he's slowly at this point I would call progressing along. Um, I'm guessing at this point he probably won't be back. I think if he was throwing from – the rubber on the mound we might be having a different discussion but we know he's been doing long toss and stuff like that now he's kind of working from the base in the mound that tells me that they are working on kind of the lower body stuff more getting the velo back work workshopping things down low a little bit more uh, so I wouldn't expect him back at this point uh, I think I've shifted my opinion on that because of this latest update um, I know Kyle you were pretty much admin on thinking that he wouldn't be back anyway, right, if I remember right? Yeah. So, yeah. I would say nothing for you there new, but for me, uh, certainly something new, I guess. But uh, certainly, I guess, progress is progress for him at this point, given the way everything went down. And uh, hopefully, like I said, it will be full bore at this point for 2024. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he's probably uh, second-guessing his contract extension. Now he's with a team – that's yeah. not going anywhere. So it's a good thing he has an opt-out in 2026 yeah. because <laughs> that might be uh, happening. He's going to be 32 by then, and who wants to play on a team that's not competitive? It's fair. It's fair. As a closer, no less. Right. All right. Sam Coonrod, the right-hand reliever, should be joining the Mets uh, within the coming days here at this point. His re- rehab clock is set to expire here in a, in a day or so, so – He's been out at Syracuse all the time. They expect him up. Uh, this will be more or less his tryout for the Mets bullpen next year, the way they they said they're going to treat it. Yeah, and anyone can make that bullpen. Right. With but, how but yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens there. Um, speaking of relievers, Alicia Hernandez transferred to the 60-day injured list. Uh, season is expected to be lost for him. He didn't pitch at all at the big leagues this year. Had some limited time rehab-wise at Syracuse and St. Lucie, so... Uh, Mets acquisition, a lower tier one this past offseason, uh, will not be seeing the field in 2023. Yeah, um, I don't even know what to say about this team. <laughs> I mean, these there's just some things going on that, like, it feels like a dream. Yeah. Like, where we started at the beginning of the year to now, it's like, it's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, even the bullpen outlook is different. These injuries are just, I mean, some of these guys, I mean, fans don't even know. Like, Denny Reyes started the game the other night. I mean, is that on your bingo card for the Mets in 2023? Jeez. Speaking of Denny Reyes, he was optioned to AAA Syracuse after that start. 
he was recalled and selected and optioned. And that wasn't fair. He faced the Braves no. offense. Right. I mean, like, yeah, they're I, the poor pitching staff of this team. Tyson Miller recalled from AAA Syracuse, as you already mentioned to a degree here. Kyle Tim LaCastro activated from the injured list. Jimmy Yacobonis, righty, was designated for assignment. And right-handers Edwin Usita and Reed Garrett also optioned to AAA Syracuse. So the, uh, the Syracuse shuttle of bullpen arms is certainly making the rounds uh, once again here in the past week. Man, these arms that are going up and down clearly aren't helping Syracuse either based on oh. their record. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to them here in a second. As for the Mets, they welcome the Pittsburgh Pirates to town uh, to begin the week and continue this homestand. Three games, Monday through Wednesday. Um, tonight, seven ten on SNY to be determined for the Pirates against Carlos Carrasco. Tuesday, seven ten on SNY to be determined versus David Peterson. And Wednesday, one ten on SNY or MLD Network, depending upon your market, to be determined against Tyler Magill. So this has some big implications, actually, standings-wise. If there's ever a somehow backdoor chance of the Mets making the playoffs via the wild card, this is an interesting one because they're tied in the wild card in eighth right now. That would put them five slots back of the third seed, eight and a half games back, and the team they're tied with in that eighth spot are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, so it's interesting. Pirates have a starter now. Oh, they do. 22-year-old Quinn Priester. Oh. Only appeared in five big league games. He's starting time. Okay. 8.75 ERA. So, yeah, this is an interesting one. The Pirates lost in devastating fashion last night. Bullpen imploded against Cincinnati. They had him on the ropes, and it, it didn't happen. Everything in my body wants me to take the Pirates to win the series, but I just don't think I can actually at this point. I think the Mets get two of three, um, which is really, I guess, weird saying it, but, like, in theory, they should beat the Pirates. Like, I'm trying to vision a way that they lose a series, even though, like, everything tells me that they should. I just can't find a way that they do. So I think I'm going to go with the Mets. I don't think they sweep, but I think they take two of three. I'll take the Pirates two of three. They've already lost a series to them this year. Oh, wow. Even with their full team before they had a total sell-off. But, right. yeah, um, I'll take the Pirates. It's going to be tough, though, because the Pirates haven't been playing well either since right. they got off to such a great start. Right. So, uh, yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Mets do win the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, before we get out of here, discuss uh, Rochester and Syracuse was, like I mentioned, rough weeks even for them. Both Rochester and Syracuse lost their week-long series 2-4 to four respectively. Rochester at home against Lehigh Valley and Syracuse on the road at Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. Uh, begin with Rochester. Um, Travis Blankenhorn hit his 100th career minor league home run this weekend. Wow. And I know what people might be thinking. That's still a pretty impressive feat. Um, you know, I don't know where it really technically puts him, but triple digits in the minor leagues is an interesting era to kind of be in, and it it kind of unfairly labels a lot of people as whether it's bus or prospect bus or quad A players or something like that. And I don't want to say that there's it's not a problem. I, I don't know, but these guys like him, they make up a, a 
I think a sneaky percentage of AAA baseball that I think gets underwritten. Uh, the the first name comes to mind is a guy by the name of Mike Harmon or Mike Herman, sorry, Mike Herman, who um, I don't know if you remember him at all, Kyle, the name anyway. He was I remember him always. He had multiple stints with the Mud Hens, uh, but he's a AAA career all-time leader in home runs. Uh, he's now actually the hitting coach for Toledo, but it wasn't a bad way to make a living. He said that he'd much rather did it over here, and he said there was nothing wrong. He had, he said he had a ton of offers at certain points to go to Korea or Japan to play but he preferred having the opportunity to possibly get back to the big leagues. And he did have a couple spots here and there with the Tigers in the mid-2000s, but never could fully cross over to be that full-time guy. But, you know, these guys like Travis are a huge part of, of minor league baseball in America, and I think stuff like this shouldn't be swept under the rug. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's still a cool accomplishment, regardless if it's not the majors. I mean, it's still tough to do. You get some good pitchers down there in AAA, some young prospects that you're facing. So, yeah, I, I I would say this is a really cool achievement, and hopefully eventually, you know, he kind of gets another chance at the big league level. Yeah, which I think, you know, given Washington, you never know what the end of the year might hold for them, and you might see him up. But um, for Rochester as well, through a cup series this week for them, but in Buffalo uh, for them, some roster with Luis Reyes, a right-hander, was assigned from Double A Harrisburg. Catcher Brady Lindsley assigned from Double A Harrisburg as well. Name to keep an eye on there. Top catching prospect for the Nationals. And they have a, a couple good ones. I mean, Riley Adams already up in Kyber Ruiz. So he's going to be a name to keep an eye on as well. Uh, with that, though, catcher Jacob Nottingham was released, as was outfielder Fran Mel Reyes. So a couple of the veterans taking their opt out clauses. I know Fran Mel was had a passed by a couple of them before he finally took it and um, it's tough but it is what it is for Syracuse um, do want to talk a couple different things with them that were interesting uh, Jeff Brigham will begin there suspended uh, for a foreign substance uh, Kyle you sent me the video of that and not the first time this has happened to a Syracuse Met pitcher this year uh, I believe the first one goes to the former Met uh, who has been released since Dylan Bundy uh, but, um, yeah, just one of those things where how can you be that dumb to be caught, I guess, in a way? But, um, yeah, I mean, for a bullpen and I guess maybe collectively a pitching staff, right, who they need arms in every worst way because of how the big league club is obviously operating, this is a tough blow for the Syracuse Mets. <laughs> yeah, it's something about the Mets – Organization, I mean, yeah, Max Scherzer. That's true, that's true, yeah. Max Scherzer, Drew Smith. Yep. Um, you just said the two guys now in AAA. Uh, it's just, I'm sure it's happening in other organizations, but it doesn't seem as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, two at the big league level, two at AAA. Like, I don't know what's going on um, around the league, but it just seems like they might have the most, most guys caught. Kind of wild. All right, so Syracuse has a theme night this week coming up. They're home against Columbus this week. I'll actually be there tomorrow as long as the weather holds up. I'll be living the sweet life tomorrow. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, so Syracuse will become the shot clock Saturday. And you may be wondering, why would they be calling themselves a Syracuse shot clocks for baseball? But it's interesting, and they're honoring um, a de facto Syracuse native in Danny Biasoni. Um, He was the owner of the Syracuse Nationals of the NBA, who are now the, do you know, Kyle, trivia time? Any guess? Jeez. 
You don't know, do you? Putting me on the spotlight. I know. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't want to even guess because it'll be worse. The Philadelphia 76ers. Ooh. How about okay. that? Yeah, their first Sixers' first championship came in Syracuse. Uh, but Biasoni, although he didn't invent the shot clock technically, was the adapter for it for the NBA. And so they are honoring him uh, this weekend when they become the shot clock Saturday night. So it's an interesting one. It's one of the main reasons why I love minor league baseball. You just never know what pops up from time to time. A um, couple news and notes here as well for the roster. Uh, right-handed pitcher Jose Chassin was assigned from AA Binghamton to replace Brigham on the roster while he has been suspended. Um, quick Charlotte Knights update because we have adopted them as our third honorary minor league team. Kyle, yeah. their their record their record going into this week. They did not win a game last oh. week. Leaves them at six and thirty-three at the basement of the International League in the second half. <laughs> wow, six yes. and thirty-three. Yes. Jeez, do they play any teams that are like sort of around their their record coming up, where they would have a chance to get some wins? Well, I think it might depend what you mean by that, but no, they do not. Like who was in, in front of them? Syracuse. <laughs> okay. Who was that? 13 and 25 now. Okay. I forget the team in between them, though, admittedly, at the moment. It's one of those I'd have to double check. Jeez, how are they not even getting. Well, I know the team above them has like 12 wins. Like, they're six games back of the next closest opponent. Like, they're not even catching a break. They're not even getting one lucky win. Jeez. Nothing. Nothing. All right, so they'll take care of Concrete Jungle for today. Appreciate everybody for tuning in, live or otherwise, here. We will be back Thursday at. Um, it will be in the afternoon. It will probably be closer to 2 o'clock, though, by the time we get live. Uh, it's a busy busy day in studio Thursday in the morning, so surprise, Kyle. But <laughs> we'll still be in the afternoon, somewhere between 1 and 2 more than likely, as opposed to right at 1. Um, yeah, I already said what I'm doing, hopefully, especially tomorrow. But uh, any big plans? I know for you, Kyle, a little football action over the weekend. Um Bills uh, got a preseason victory. I don't, know, I, I don't know if you actually like watched a ton of it. I know for me personally, I can't do a lot of preseason football outside of like watching like Ben DiNucci or Trace McSorley for the meme purposes. But like sometimes it's just ugly and I can't deal with it. And I know the Bills won pretty handily, but um, did you end up watching a ton of it at all or not so much? So here's the story. Uh-oh. DirecTV, oh no, who I have, oh no, is in a disagreement with. I forgot the company's name that owns Channel Eight. So CBS, so that'd um, be Next Star Group. That'd be Viacom. Oh well, so yeah, in that, in that way, yeah, yeah. Um, so they have taken it off DirecTV, and it's been off DirecTV for about ten days or so. Oh boy! And until they come, you know, to an agreement, Channel Eight will not be available for me. Meaning that whenever they're on. CBS, right. I won't be watching. Uh, won't be able to watch unless they come on Red Zone, you know, because I have Red Zone. But thankfully, week one, it's Monday Night Football, but maybe by week two when they play the Raiders, it'll be back, which is over a month from now. Um, but yeah, I totally couldn't watch the game. I was shocked. I, I turned Channel 8 and couldn't watch. So uh, that was the first time I've actually missed even a preseason game in a long time. Wow. Um, yeah, so I did see some, you know, of course, Twitter highlights and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not huge into preseason either. I just – it's kind of good just to at least watch the first quarter, you know, when the starters are playing a lot. But looking forward to the actual date uh, 
regular season opener, September seventh. Yeah. Lions in the Chiefs. That's an interesting first uh, <laughs> matchup. So yeah, um, right now it's baseball and preseason football for Love me. It. Love it. Nothing better. <laughs> and trying to not care about the Yankees and maybe care about other teams a little more. The Charlotte Knights, for example. Uh, yeah, I know wild card race is getting interesting, so maybe that'll be something. Yes. So that will do it for today then. We'll be back on Thursday, like I mentioned. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll talk with everybody then.